In my tenure as an executive director and as a political fundraiser, I've had things go wrong. We all have. I can b- remember back to making calls for my college phonathon. I didn't actually do it because I loved my alma mater, uh, but I did, and I still do. I did it because in the late 1970s, they gave you free dinner and beer. And <laughs> making phone calls to ask alums for money while you drank beer. Um, but that wasn't my point. I called someone and I began my script and I was quickly interrupted. This is not a good time. My husband passed away yesterday. Back in those days, we did not have caller ID. I've stepped on emotional landmines, making an outreach to a lapsed donor who was holding a grudge about a screw-up we made at her annual gala table, or talking with a donor who I just simply had the wrong information. It happens. But what do you do? Can you turn these situations into lemonade? I think you can. So I thought it might be fun to do some role-playing this week. Now, folks really hate role-playing, like especially at retreats, but I found the perfect guest for this assignment. He is not only a development director with decades of experience asking for money, he's also an instructor at Second City, an improv comedy shop in Chicago that has graduated the likes of Tina Fey, Gilda Radner, John Belushi, and the list goes on. Jim is a good guy and a gifted fundraiser. Our discussion will provide you with a shot in the arm that you are not the only one. He will offer you some practical advice and illustrate to you that fundraising can be a laughing matter. Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. My guest today is Jim Bennett. Jim Bennett is the Chief Development Officer for Lambda Legal, the nation's largest legal organization dedicating to securing the full civil rights of the LGBT community and those living with HIV. Jim has more than 25 years of experience in advocacy, strategic planning, and development. Prior to Lambda, Bennett was the Marketing and Development Director for the Sergeant Shriver National Center on Poverty Law and has led development, marketing, and programmatic departments at the American Red Cross. He also serves on the board of Refugee One and is a member of the Broadway United Methodist Church. He's got an MBA from the University of Illinois, an undergraduate degree in marketing from ISU. My favorite credential is that he is a graduate from the Second City Conservatory and writes and performs sketch comedy. In 2013, Bennett was the Moth Storytelling Grand Slam champion for his story about his experience in Iowa after Lambda Legal's marriage victory. It was called Church of Hamballs. Hamballs, by the way, is its own food group. Jim, I know you just arrived home after a several-day staff retreat, so thanks a lot for chatting with me on what should definitely be a day off for you. Oh my gosh, I'm happy to. So as I read that bio, I thought to myself, who is this guy? Is he a stand-up comic, a gay rights activist, a fundraiser? How do all of these different things fit together for you? Well, I could never be a stand-up comic because you're out there totally alone. I tried it and it was horrible. Um, I don't know. Like, definitely, um, I, I like anything that's sort of done with a team. So, you know, improv is a team sport. And uh, I think fundraising is too. You always have a ton of people involved with it. And they... They remarkably fit well together. Uh, so I've, I've been in nonprofits um, all my life, you know, since I was a kid. And I also, by the way, um, got free pizza and beer in my college phone-a-thon and hated it. Uh, uh-huh. but, uh, um, 
that's uh, so they they fit very well together. My best comedic material has come often from my uh, my nonprofit work. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me about your first, uh, let's say, professional fundraising gig? Let's let's not talk about the uh, college phonathon with the beer, um, but your sort of your first fundraising gig. Do you remember your first ask? Or maybe and yeah, and tell me and then do your kind of your first success and your first oh that really didn't go very well. <laughs> There's a lot of both, aren't there? Um, my my first big ask was a woman named Carlotta Biafelt, and she had a foundation in Peoria, and it was at the Red Cross. So the Red Cross, um, when Elizabeth Dole became our president, literally had to divide the organization to. Um, to sort of save the blood region and they started a big fundraising program. So we, I, I signed up and got in that and I, our first job was to build our chapter house and this was happening all over the country. And it's very unusual to begin with a capital campaign. And, uh, I believe looking back now that, uh, my executive directors had Carlotta B. felt as my first ask because I have a feeling she had already probably committed you know, her involvement before I had even walked in. And yeah. so I was asking her for a hundred thousand dollars and, um, it went okay. I, um, I, my biggest problem was that I kept laughing when I asked for the amounts because it was, <laughs> it was, it was just impossible for me to imagine asking for more than I made. And it was almost twice as much as I made. So I, um, and and we had also role played before I went in, and so that was something I knew it was going to be a problem, and I just could not hold it together. And so I ended up just explaining, like, you know, I'm new at this, and I um, <laughs> I I've never asked for anything more than my own salary, so it's like it's very hard for me to um, you know, to picture this. And she was incredibly gracious, and you know, she put me through um you know, some, some hard questions. And for the most part, I was ready for them, but I, uh, um, I ended up, uh, she had me come back again, uh, for some of the answers that I wasn't able to provide, um, the details and she ultimately made the gift. So it was, and, and I've never had a feeling like that in my life, like, because it, you know, a hundred thousand is big to, to anyone, you know? And so it was, it was incredible, incredible. I have this recollection of my 17-year-old daughter was on the AIDS ride for the, uh, the Gay and Lesbian Center in New York City, and uh, uh, she she had kind of cultivated a donor on the ride, and so the executive director of the center invited her to join the dinner and the ask, and uh, the ask was successful, and my daughter... Um, started to shriek as we left <laughs> as we left the restaurant and the executive director had to say you know what we need to get a little bit further away from the restaurant before you <laughs> before you oh, shriek. I love it I love it <laughs> it's it's really hard not to contain it first of all I think why contain it you know I mean it's so exciting and I feel like for those uh for the person who's giving the money it has to feel amazing too that you've you know they they know the impact they've had on that person as well as, uh, as well as the organization. So it's great. Yeah. So we promised that we would do a little bit of role playing, but before we start, tell me about how you think about 
fundraising. Do you have a philosophy about it, why it's important, why you do it, why it's important to give? Um, I'm always interested in what people, how people approach and can think about fundraising. My style is, it's definitely linked in the, in the program work. I mean, so I, I've learned because I went after Red Cross, I went to a university and they were Northwestern and they were wonderful, but I could not raise money for them. And it was very sad to me because then I realized, at least for myself, I actually have to really care and be passionate about the cause. And not that I wasn't passionate about Northwestern, but I really did feel like I was just asking to add more money to this gigantic endowment. And I didn't have this sense of what it, um, what people were buying. And, and so for me, I need to know, I need to know the work well, and my style is very much involving them in the process. So like at, at Red Cross, I would, if, if it was in, in the context of a disaster, an actual disaster, not like within the work, but uh, like a hurricane, I would ask a, a, one of the um, contributors to go along in the response vehicle for the day or, or put a shelter kit together or watch our CPR people and how they get ready. And, and, and that's always been an easier way for me to, because if you can connect them to the cause and how that matters, um, it, uh, it, it, it links them to the mission and then, and it, and it takes the pressure off me. It's, it, it's not all about, whether I did it completely right or wrong, if they love the work, they're going to um, excuse some of my, you know, if I'm odd or, you know, whatever happens. But for, um, so that's, that's been my approach. And I, and I also don't think there's much you can do wrong. If, if you care about the cause and you really love it, I have to remind myself a lot that it's, it's not, it's not personal. And I, and I've never succeeded at that. So I guess that's, you know, advice that I haven't lived, but um when I get scared or I'm afraid to ask for, for a gigantic amount, I just remember I'm, I'm asking on behalf of this amazing organization. And if I, and if I don't ask, then I'm, I'm hurting that organization as opposed to like protecting myself. And so that's sort of how I push through that kind of stuff. I, I also think that people who are novice fundraisers don't really understand that uh, when somebody, it makes people feel really good to give money to causes that they care about and that if you can, in fact, introduce them to the work and allow them to touch and feel it in some way, then it really comes to life for them in a way that makes them want to support it. You know, it's not it's not like selling a used car, you know? Like nobody's going to write you a check if they, if they don't, if they don't feel it. No, I completely agree. And I, and I also feel like one of the things I learned pretty quickly is I feel like we hold off on donors until that big ass. So if you have someone that can do a lot, we're waiting and waiting. And I'm like, part of that process is getting the gifts. So when you buy, when you buy something, when you buy a car, then you always know and notice that car on the road and things like that. When you give to an organization, even if it's a small amount, you have an investment in it and, and that's part of the process of moving them up. So as long as you can get that first gift, I I think with most people, you can make them love you, you know, and it's just how much time you have. And so who, who, who are the people that I really want to love me a lot, you know, that I'm going to invest in? 
You said something a minute ago that was kind of interesting, the notion that there isn't that much that can go wrong. Feels to me like a lot of the, a lot of the anxiety is around how many things could in fact go wrong. What do you mean when you say there's really not that much that could go wrong? Well, I think in most in most times you have a second chance. So if I ask for too small of a, an amount, which is is more my problem than the other way, um, and and you you immediately know because they're so excited. Like you ask for 5,000 and they're like, Oh my God, great. Like I'm writing out the check and I'm like, crap, you know, I should have gone for more. I I can always go back and ask for more. Or if there's something I've, I've said, or I walked in, we recently had a meeting where we were talking um, at Lambda legal to a guy about our HIV program because he had always uh, supported that. And so we made this huge, huge presentation on that. And that was not his interest. Someone in the organization years before decided that was his interest and we never really had talked to him again. And so I was the first person to come in and he was sort of shocked that, um, that's where I focused. And, and he, I only was looking at, you know, someone who had left years ago in their notes and, and I just, I, I just asked, can I come back again? Like, and Mm -hmm. you know, now that I know you better, I'd, I'd like to have time to put something different together. And uh, he was incredibly gracious. There, there are two things in that little story that I believe are worth teasing out. One is you are not afraid to ask the prospect questions. I think sometimes fundraisers are like, oh, I, I can ask them where else they give, what other causes they care about. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, people want to talk about philanthropy if they're sitting talking to a fundraiser. So I think one of the things I heard in that was that you ask good questions. What are you thinking? (laughs) That's a great question to ask a prospect (laughs) at a lunch, right? Tell me what you're thinking about this. The other thing that that you teased out of that... um, Is that you were really listening? That it was that that either verbals or probably more nonverbals were coming at you that indicated that you were traveling down the wrong road, right? It doesn't sound like the guy said, "I don't know why you're asking me about HIV." That's not something I care about. You actually picked up on it through signals. Yeah, in that case, I did. I mean, there was he—he's a fairly intense guy, and uh, I. I could just tell he was sort of becoming more distracted or sort of not as interested. And, uh, and sometimes I, sometimes that happens for me because I'm, I'm focused too much in the details of the program and not, and not how it, what, what our goals are, what our outcome is, like how we want to make the world. I get sort of caught up in what and Lambda, like what the lawyers are doing and, and, uh, you know, and I find it interesting or, and that, that's always my mistake with lawyers. I find that I think they're going to want to know all of our legal stuff. And I think they say they want to, and they do. But at the end of the day, they, lawyers are very good at telling emotional stories. That's how they win the case. And uh, I always have right. to remind myself that's how I have to do it. But yeah, it's sort of like, I, I, and I also think of it as a friend, you know? So if I'm, if I'm rambling on and I can tell I'm losing my friend's interest, I, you know, I, I start listening to them more or whatever you do with a friend. So if, if you're approaching it in the same way, it, it, it usually goes fairly well because you've, 
they're already interested in you because they wouldn't have met with you otherwise. When when someone meets with a fundraiser, they know where this is going. It, it's so it so surprises me when people they they, they don't realize that, I and mean, when fundraisers don't realize that. Uh, that it's very clear. It's very clear when you meet with a fundraiser or an executive director. <clears throat> People are just not, they're wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why don't we take a take a crack at this? I mean, you were you, you mentioned a, um, a good example of, of, of an ask that you put the brakes on because you realize, you realize that you had bad information and your organization is not small. So imagine smaller organizations where, you know, Razor's Edge is just really not doing it for them or they have something even smaller or less capable. So, you know, or you lose that historic knowledge. One person leaves and the and that information wasn't written down. That's so common. I think no matter your size. Yes, I agree with that. I'm working with a client currently where there is a major donor office, major gifts officer who is carrying so many keys in the institution. And we're working really hard to institutionalize the relationships that this particular person has stewarded and cultivated over the years because he is nearing retirement. And the challenge of that is big. There's a lot of revenue at risk. So, uh, so let's, 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 um, let's, let's try our respective role-playing slash improv skills, shall we? I'm ready. Uh, all right. Okay. So this first scenario, and do you have your notes in front of you? Because there are things on, on Jim's notes that are not going to be revealed to you as the listeners. Okay. It's like Uh, the secret question. It is. It's like a password or something. So, uh, and I pulled some of these, from uh, emails I've gotten from uh, executive directors or board members from my blog. And I also picked up a couple of them. You were recently did a panel at Fundraising Day in New York, and I picked a couple of them from that conversation that you and I had as we got ourselves organized to do this. So let's try, let's see how far we get and try to, um, uh, and then dissect each one a little bit and then move on to the next. So we'll think about this as kind of like the lightning round. Okay. Okay. All right. So scenario one, here we have some, the, the Jim has some ask anxiety. He doesn't know if he's asking for the right amount, uh, whether it's too little, too much. So Jim is going to, is going to ask me, uh, for, for some money. Let's say, let's assume for argument's sake that I have given in the past. Uh, and um, do we need to, do you need to know how much I've given in the past, Jim? No. Okay, fine. And uh, maybe the data in the database isn't so good. And so you're not really 100% sure how much I have given. Uh, so, and let's, let's assume that we're, we're, um, can we can we assume that we're raising money for a uh, a food bank in Chicago? Sure. Sure. All right. So, here we are. And uh, let's assume that I live in Chicago and um I don't know for the purposes of this, let's just go with that amount of information. And and then and I will respond to, you know, to, to chat me up a bit, ask me for some money, I'll respond and I just want to briefly hear how you would respond to my response. Uh, so, Joan, first of all, you have been so wonderful to us. I mean, you have all the work we've been able to do has you have helped us build this foundation. And as you know, Illinois, 
as always, is a mess. I mean, we, you know, we have not had a budget in two years, and even the money that we're supposed to be getting from the state, which is a huge amount of our budget, is uh, is being held up because uh, the governor hasn't signed on, so we don't even have an ability to get that that cash. And I'm really hoping, and I know this is a little bit more than you have normally done, but I am hoping that you will consider a gift of a hundred thousand dollars. Because what that would allow us to do is to make sure that people that need our food and depend on us every day, that we're not going to have to lay off any of our workers, that we're going to be able to move forward and help people that are really at, um, at the end of their rope in the city. And, and we had a few people in our, that have been giving to us in the past and that we could really be honest with and say how important this need is and and that they would understand, and you're one of those. And so I'd, I'd really hope that you would consider uh, making a $100,000 gift this year. So I'm not, I'm not really sure, you and I have not met before, you're, uh, I'm not really sure what kind of information you have about my capacity. Um, and I, I'm hearing everything that you're saying. Um, the most I have ever actually given to the XYZ Food Bank was uh, about two years ago, I gave about $10,000. And that was as a function of a year-end bonus that I got from uh, from my company. And I was uh, able to make some disbursements. Um, so I, I have to say that I um, I don't think I've ever given $100,000 to any organization um, I am hearing, though, and I, I know in this climate that government funding for these kinds of services is really, really at risk. And I, uh, I, I appreciate it, although I have, <laughs> I, I have to say I lost that. If you had any oxygen on your side of the room, you might actually have lost it when I kind of gasped just a minute ago at your ask. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, uh, you know, I, I think we. You looked, you looked at a, a bunch of different information, and when I saw that ten thousand dollar gift, I must—I had been thinking uh, that we probably hadn't been hitting as hard as we should have. I mean, you know how it is. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's a couple ways, and maybe we could talk about different ways we could do it. I mean, one is that it could be broken down over years, um, or what it, what we could do is. I, is if you would even consider making a gift perhaps of $10,000 now and recognizing that, that that's a lot, you know, if, if you were going from a bonus before I, you know, I can understand then, but I, and I imagine you understand to these times. And then what we could do is, uh, is use that as a gift to um, help encourage others to step up and make a, a larger gift as well. I actually really, um, I do like the idea of, um, matches and like when I go to a fundraiser and somebody says, I'm, you know, you know, I'd like to, you know, put up a, an X amount of money and sort of match it in the room. Or I also like to leverage gifts with board boards of directors. Cause I, I have served on a board and I have always been, um, I, I just never feel like board members step up the way they should. And so if, let me think about it. I also feel like I've been a little detached from the, from the food bank. So, uh, 
you know, before I were to, were to commit to that, maybe there's some additional conversation you and I can have. Maybe there's a, you know, I, I, I really care about what you're doing. So maybe I, maybe I should, maybe I should touch the work a little bit and get reconnected. And then maybe we can revisit. I'm not, I'm not averse to the 10,000. I just think I, 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 I just might need to sort of re-engage a little bit more first. Oh, I, I understand. And you know, 10,000 is a lot. And I, and I do want to tell you that my, my largest board member is that's, that's their gift size. And this is, I mean, they're a wonderful board. They, um, and, and I think many are giving to their capacity. I always, you know, but I'm the fundraiser. So I'm always thinking that they can do a little bit more, but, uh, so I do think that would be helpful. And we could also, and I, and I'd love just to have you there because maybe it's a good chance. You know, you said you haven't, haven't been connected to us and that's probably our fault more than anyone. Um, we've had, you know, we've been working so hard at doing the work that sometimes we forget you know, the most, you know, a lot of the important steps that we need to do. And so to have you come in and, and see how your, uh, how your gift will impact will be, um, a gift to us in itself. Good. Why don't we pause there? Um, so I really liked that you were not afraid to apologize. So I was wondering if I'm, our listeners are sitting and thinking, gee, he sounded really, apologetic. And I, I, as a donor would appreciate the apology. It, it feels really authentic. It feels really, um, yeah, it feels really authentic to me. And, uh, the other, th- the other thing clearly, you know, there's an opportunity for the donor prospect that was me to get engaged. Clearly I have been on a board. So there's a lot, I mean, there's a, there was a lot in there for Jim to grab onto as he continues to cultivate and steward the donor. Any, anything else you want to add on that one? Um, no, I don't think so. I, sometimes I do apologize a lot. I think it's just sort of my personality, but I do think if you feel like you should apologize, it's always good. I mean, you know, not, not to be over, not to do it too much, but, uh, and once you do it, just be done with it. But, um, if you feel like there's a misstep, why not just say it? You know, we all make mistakes. Right. And, and, and I, and I do believe I see a lot of a kind of analysis paralysis where people look for reasons not to make the ask and they'll say, my data sucks or I, I, I don't know this person or the, there's no institutional relationship. And, and it doesn't just start the conversation and start a relationship because, if I gave $10,000 two years ago and someone hasn't really been that much in touch with me, um, I clearly, I didn't come across as angry to you, right, Jim? I wasn't angry that nobody had been in touch with me. No, not at all. And it, and it would be weird. Although what's interesting is I, I think in food banks too, those kind of, um, it, it depending on how it is, but I think of my local food bank and it's, it's a three person organization. So when I make, I, although I've never given them 10,000, I pray they're not listening to this, but they, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, but I also don't think a lot of times you just, there's organizations like that, that you, you know, their reputation and you know, they're doing good work and, um, and, uh, you know, and you're an excellent donor. So you, you know, not to bother us all the time. No, I'm totally kidding. All right. So, um, so here's, let's try So we are talking with, Jim Bennett, 
who is the chief development officer at Lambda Legal and has decades, just decades and decades and decades. Oh my God. (laughs) Of experience, both Mm. on the fundraising and on the programmatic side. And uh, I picked him because he is also a graduate of Second City in Chicago, which is an improv comedy shop that has graduated not only Jim Bennett, but uh, folks like Tina Fey and others. So uh, we're playing around with some uh, kind of role modeling, some asks. And um, this next scenario uh, that we have here is, um, is you're calling to renew me. Uh, and let's say I'm a, uh, I'm a $5,000 donor. Let's say that I made a, uh, I came to your last gala, which was about within the last year. So it, the ne- the new gala has not come up, but I also, so at the gala, so I bought a ticket and I also made a pledge when you all did a pitch from the stage. And let's assume the organization is the board you serve on right now, which is Refugee One. Okay. So you're going to call and you're going to, you're going to renew me or you can do whatever you like. You can ask me for more. You can do whatever you like. Okay. Sounds good. Hey, um, Joan, this is Jim Bennett. I'm on the board at Refugee One. How are you? Hey, Jim. I, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Um, I was calling because you had attended our gala last April. And uh, I, I imagine you probably go to a lot of these things. So I don't know if you remember. We had um, an amazing family that had come from the Sudan. And we sort of featured all the different workers and, and people that had come into their life to help them, you know, s- get started here in, a, here in our country. Uh, I actually remember that. I, I remember the family very well. Oh, it, it was a really nice night, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, I, we were really pleased and, and we did really well. And you had made uh, a really an extraordinary gift from the floor. Uh, it It's unusual for people to to give that kind of gift and you have been so generous and uh, we are wondering if you would consider making that gift now um, or, or, and making an additional $500 gift this year to our annual, to our annual fund. And it would really help us reach, reach a, a pretty aggressive goal that we have this year to, to make sure that we have all the resources we need to take care of families, you know, very similar to the ones yeah, you know, the one that you that you were able to get to know from the stage that evening. Um, well, I I really do appreciate the the conversation, Jim, and uh, I was moved at the gala, and I did feel so moved that I made a five thousand dollar gift from the floor. Uh, but I have to tell you, I. Um, I got uh, I got a note indicating that I had appreciating my gift of the ticket, but not of the five thousand dollars. And I've not actually been uh, like I haven't heard anything about the organization. I, I don't know if you got if you guys do a newsletter. I just felt like I had given five thousand dollars that that should have been like a big flag to somebody. And like I don't have a big oh, ego. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe some, you know, maybe my wife would say I have a big ego, but <laughs> like, like it's such a missed, I, I feel like I'm just like a walking missed opportunity. And, you know, it's one of those things, Jim, um, 
I have this really weird thing where if I get on an airplane and the seatback tray isn't working, I'm sure I'm going down. Because like if if a, if a if a an airline can't sweat the details of a seatback tray, like right. what's happening in the cockpit, right? And so I'm I'm I guess I could say I'm I'm not mad. I'm just like I'm really in, I'm I'm just irritated about this I feel like you you all dropped a big ball that could could have led somewhere. Well, clearly we did. I mean, so first of all, I just want to say I'm sorry cuz I I there's no doubt that I would feel exactly the same way. I mean, that's that is an extraordinary gift and so you know, I for so first of all, I'm embarrassed and I want to thank you now. I mean, I know it's obviously too late, but I, I want to thank you because it's, it's really big. No, I don't think it isn't actually too late, Jim. Actually, it's not. Too, so, uh, you know what? It's, uh, it, it isn't too late. I'm, I'm glad you picked up the phone, and I wanted the opportunity to tell somebody what was going on. And um, in the interest of time, because I have a meeting that I need to run to, um, <laughs> Let's let's have a cup of coffee and I and tell me what's been going on at Refugee One, and let's see. And then and why don't you go back to your shop and try to figure out what what transpired? But I, you know, I would have been, if you had a fun if you'd had like a house party or something, I would have come. Right. And so I, I just feel like let's just let's just see if we can get this back on track. Well, that would be great. And if and if you'd be okay with it, I'd love to either bring someone from the staff or have them reach out to you. Cause my fear would be if this happened to you, it probably happened to some others too. And we want to get that corrected as well. So if, if you're okay with that, if I could have them call you, or maybe I could just bring them to coffee and we can sort of talk through it. And that way we'll be able to find, you know, if there's a few other Joan Gary's out there that, uh, um, that had the same experience, cause we need every last one of them, uh, to make this work. That sounds good, Jim. Thanks. Great. Thank you. So here's a deal that I, I believe that people don't understand, and then we're gonna have to we're gonna have to sort of move towards my last question. Is angry donors are angry because they care for the most part, unless unless they're like have big fat egos and they're annoyed that they got sat they they were seated you know close to the kitchen, which I almost was gonna be that. <laughs> That's a harder <laughs> one, isn't most- it? It is a harder one to do. Yeah. I always say that special events, the success of a special event should be marked by how many apology notes you have to send on the Monday of the following week. Um, but (laughs) I, I do think that, uh, people don't understand that an angry donor is, is, is somebody who cares deeply and wants to be reengaged. Yeah. I think that's Um, mostly true. Yeah. I think that's mostly true. So I wanted to just ask you one last question, um, I know, you know, you are on a board. We mentioned that you're on a board called refugee one. And, um, I wanted to know if you're a better fundraiser cause you're also a board member. I, I was a board member. I've been a fundraiser. What have you learned about fundraising while wearing a board hat, whatever, <laughs> whatever a board hat looks like? Um, I think a, a couple things. I mean, one is I'm, I'm far I'm, I'm much better at working with the board members that are helping me raise funds because I think I, I've realized now when Refugee One calls me and asks me to do stuff that how how limited my time is. And so I'm now more focused, I think, in, when I work with our board um, at Lambda on, 
I'm sort of being judicious with their time and, and how much I'm asking. But I mean, probably the biggest thing for me has been looking at it of, of when I go to my friends, because I'm usually asking these board members to go to contacts that, of people that, that, that they're, that one, they're either close to, and they're likely very important people in their lives. And so I'm much more aware now of like, will my friends be treated well? Like if I share a contact of someone that I, that I, uh, um, am introducing to refugee one, are they going to have a good experience? Are they, are they going to be thanked when they make that call? By the way, refugee one's very good. We have an amazing development director and she would never not thank someone, but they, you know, to make sure like they're going to be handled well, they're not, that I have a sense of like what happens after you give to refugee one. So if my friend calls me and they're like, I am getting emails every 10 seconds, then I, I want to know that I'm, I'm, I'm much more, I'm much more respectful now when I ask other people to, um, to bring their friends and their relationships into our organization. Um, cause, cause now I'm doing it myself, but, uh, it's, a. Uh, I, I think it's a. I think it's a. It's it's been an amazing experience to be on that board. It's been probably the um, the best professional experience I've had in in my nonprofit work that has gone on for yeah. decades and decades. Um, the other th- <laughs> the other thing I think I learned is that executive directors and development directors often expect so much of their boards. They expect them to behave run at a hundred and. 20%. And so they're seemingly often very, very disappointed in their boards. And I found when I was on a board that I was often disappointed in myself because boards are most often filled with these type A overachievers. And when you're a volunteer, you can't do that, you know, 110%. You're lucky if you can do 70%. So I already yeah. feel bad that I haven't gotten an A on my book report. And then a development director or an executive director comes to me and asks me to do more and sort of makes me feel bad that I'm not doing more. And I feel like that those dynamics end up being really troublesome and problematic. And so I think what you're talking about is being respectful of what board members have in terms of their time and their relationships and making the experience as good as it possibly can be for board members as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, we are like really over time because usually I imagine somebody on an elliptical machine while I'm doing these podcasts and someone has long ago left the elliptical machine or is, uh, have, I like to think of them just drinking wine and relaxing and listening to us talk forever. Isn't that funny? I know. Yeah, I wish that's what we were doing. Right. Um, but I wanted to say just thank you. I, I, the, I, you know, podcasts are a nice, big, good, solid bite of things, and I feel like you gave listeners, both board and staff leaders, not only some good ideas about how to approach these sort of lemonade, these lem- how to turn lemons into lemonade, but also a, a sense of freedom that being perfect counts a whole lot less than caring a whole lot. And so I just wanted to say thank you for, um, for joining us today. Oh, I had a great time and it was great talking to you. So we, um, uh, we are done for today. We're going to let Jim, uh, go and raise some money for causes he cares about. Also, I just want to say one last thing, Jim, we will put a link to refugee one on the, uh, on the blog post for this podcast. So you can be a good board member and, uh, and let your executive director and development director know that you, uh, that you gave a shout out to your organization. They're great. They're great. So, 
while you are um, online after you check out Refugee One, you might also want to... Um, <laughs> I'll take shameless promotion for 400, Alex. <laughs> you might also want to pick up a copy of my new book, a uh, novelly called Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I have an autographed I will say that copy. You do, yes. I, I saw a photograph of it from this weekend with a partner watching it, reading it. Um, I will say that lots of people are, in fact, buying them in bulk because it's a book that board members will actually read, enjoy, and learn from. So... In fact, I think we're going to do some kind of a fall uh, holiday gift promotion of some sort. So stay stay tuned. So you can also visit us and subscribe to my blog for nonprofit leaders, again, both board and staff at joangary.com. So until next time, thanks again for all you do. Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.